you have your Bibles, we have some work to do this morning. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 10, and uh, briefly, and then we're going to be in Hebrews, chapter 2. I'm going to read two scriptures back to back. And of course, you know, as is my fashion, we'll go jumping around some other places. Um, so John 10, 10, and then Hebrews 12, 2. While you're turning, um, I just, uh, you know, want to preface what we're talking about today with a little bit of a, just to give people a chance to get caught up where we're at. We have been discussing money and possessions, Christian generosity over the course of about uh, eight weeks now, I think. Um, this will be my, uh, not my final message ever, but my final message in this series on this topic about money and possessions and the Christian's relationship with, with those things and our, our call to be generous and sacrificial in our giving. Um, when it comes to possessions and provisions, possessions and provisions, that means that, you know, the things that I need, having what I need to make it, when it comes to those two things, there are basically two mindsets that individuals will adopt. There is a mindset of abundance that says we have enough, there is enough. And then, of course, there is on the opposite end of that spectrum a mindset of scarcity that says there is not enough, we do not have enough. So if you'll turn, if you've got your Bibles, uh, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is talking and he says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And then in Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 2, the writer says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I ask right now that you open our hearts and minds to receive from you, Lord. Humble us by the truth that is in it. Give us clarity and give us grace to receive it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So I want to talk about those two mindsets. You may be wondering, what do those passages have anything to do with money and possessions and how we view them? But if you just bear with me, we'll get there. So um, let's start with the scarcity mindset. I always like to go with the, the negative and end with the positive. That's always a good thing. Leave you on, on a good note, right? So the scarcity mindset, it has at its core these thoughts and feelings that there is absolutely not enough to go around. And the problem is this is what plagues most people. And I would say 90%, well, I shouldn't throw percentages out there because I really don't know, but most people... Most people, I mean, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who's not plagued by this mindset, a scarcity mindset. In order for you to gain, somebody else has to lose. It's called a zero-sum game. So in order for me to gain, somebody else has got to lose. Or you might be thinking, if I give away any part of my possessions or part of my provision, then I won't have enough to make do. It's a scarcity mindset. I want to take you back to the Garden of Eden, though, if I could, just for a minute. Just indulge me while we walk down that path. Do you remember God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing? Amen. And boy, it was just teeming with life. Eden was, man, it was a paradise. It was described as a, a paradise. And God is so good that God looked on it and He said, it's good. It's good. 
what I made. God said it was good. And in this creation, God displayed for humanity His desire and His delight in an abundance. In order for uh, us to see that, we've just got to look at the situation that they, that they lived in. Look at the garden. It was teeming with life. I mean, vegetation and fresh fruits and vegetables just everywhere to be found. They had no lack. They had as much as they needed, as much as they wanted. Adam and Eve had no lack at all. Amen. Right? God demonstrated His own endless nature and His own bountiful love through the abundant provision that He gave them in the, in the garden. Earth was made to be bountiful. And it is. There's so much provision that God just built into the system. It's bountiful. They had no idea of lack. There was no such thing as need. Even the weather was absolutely perfect. And how do I know this? Because the Bible says they didn't have any clothes. They didn't have any need to cover themselves, to shelter themselves from the elements or from the cold. It wasn't until after the fall that they realized, oh, we're, we're exposed. They didn't even feel exposed. It was such a, a perfect place, bountiful abundance. And it wasn't until later that, that the idea of scarcity, the thought that there's not enough, came into play. They, they, that hadn't even entered their, their minds. There was such a, a foreign concept to them that they didn't even imagine it. I mean, there were no situations where Adam and Eve sitting around a campfire at night thinking, are we going to have enough food for tomorrow? They, they never said and asked themselves, what are we going to do to make it to the end of the month? How are we going to get through? They never had to consider, if I eat this fruit, will I have enough for tomorrow? They never had those because the idea of scarcity didn't even, it hadn't even entered their thought. There was no, no, no basis for imagination of it. They had nothing but trust in God and in His demonstrated bountiful provision. I want you to consider that. Now, look at the picture. You've got these two people in this paradise wilderness. Not, not wild, but paradise, this, this beautiful place out in the nature. They, they don't have shelter. They don't have, there's no technology. They don't, they don't understand anything about seed and harvest or toiling and, and planting and sowing and reaping and, and seasons and all that mess. They had no, no frame of reference for any of that. All they had was trust that it's going to be there. God has provided, and it's going to be there. That's all they had. They didn't have the works of their hands to rely on. They didn't have technology to rely on. None of that. Just that the Lord said it's there. And it was there. That was their experience. And their experience wasn't any different until there was a certain serpent that came up. And even after that serpent, their experience wasn't different before that. And what did he do? What did he do? He introduced a lack of trust. All they had was trust in God. And really, that's what God desires from us, isn't it? God wants us to trust Him, just to trust Him. There's a, a Scottish uh, Christian minister in the late 1800s named George MacDonald, and he, he said that uh, to trust is a better compliment than to love. 
When you trust someone, you, you put your life and your well-being and your joy and your happiness into their hands. And that's precisely what God desires of us, isn't it? Because He is an all-knowing, all-loving, all-sufficient Father. He wants us to trust Him. Jesus, He was quoting the Old Testament when He said that uh, the law requires us to love the Lord our God with everything that we've got. So the law commands that we love God with our whole hearts, but wisdom dictates that we trust God with our whole hearts. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. He'll direct your paths. Can I just tell you that trust completes love? It makes it whole. There is no intimacy without trust. You, you cannot give yourself to someone that you do not trust. Look at what the proverb says. As long as you trust the Lord, He will make your paths straight. In other words, He will make a way. God will provide. Trust in Him, He will make the path. Church, in the Garden of Eden, all they had was trust. There was no thought of, uh, of doubt. They completely relied on God and His provision for their lives. They trusted in His provision and that it was enough. They had a mindset of abundance. There is enough. Scarcity didn't enter the human experience until that, that serpent uh, beguiled that woman. And really, let's get down to the basis of what Satan tempted her with. Was it a juicy, ripe, fresh, delicious-looking fruit on a forbidden tree? Or was it something a bit more subtle? Basically, Satan planted the seeds of scarcity in their minds. God's holding back on you. He's not giving you everything. There's more to this than what you've been told. What you have now, in all the abundance that you have it, isn't quite enough. There's more. Isn't that what he did? And in that moment, when they began to listen to that serpent and that lie about scarcity... They, they pushed God's abundant provision to the side and they started looking at what they didn't have. And the seeds of scarcity were allowed to take root and grow. Amen. And this has been the same story all throughout redemptive history. God chose Abraham as a way to demonstrate his abundance to fallen man. You know, you, you messed up in the garden. I'm going to choose and make me a people and I'm going to bless the entire world through you, Abraham. He told Abraham that all the world would be blessed because he was blessed. Amen. God, he led out Israel after, after Israel would, had fallen from him and gone into bondage in Egypt. He led Israel out of Egypt and he fed them abundantly with manna from heaven. And what did they do? Did they rejoice in God's provision? Look at how wonderfully he's provided. We don't have to go hunting. We don't have to hunt for it. We don't have to go try to find it. We, it's just on, we just gather it. It's right there. Did they, did they rejoice in that? No, they complained about their lack of leeks and onions. The scarcity mentality, focused on what we don't have. God brought them through many trials and tribulations out of Egypt, through the, the, the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and all those trials that came in it. And after 40 years of wandering, He brought them to the, the promised land, a land that He said was flowing with milk and honey. 
And so they sent spies into the land to see what this land was and how do we go in and take it. And of the 12 spies they sent, 10 of them came back with an evil report, the Bible says, a wicked report. And what was that report? We are not enough. The land is full of giants and we are as grasshoppers, listen, in our own eyes. We see it from our own perspective. Our trust is bound up in what we can do, not in what God has said. All of history has been plagued by a scarcity mindset. And this sets our thoughts and our hearts on what we don't have. It kills our joy. And it places trust in the works of our own hands, church. Instead of overflowing with gratitude toward God for all that He has given us, we will grumble and worry and complain about things that we think we need more. Look at at the time that Jesus walked the earth. It was a very different situation uh, than it is today. The world was a much different place. Uh, They didn't have the economies that we have today. They didn't have the modern resources that we have today. Food production and distribution was certainly different than it is today. And it was not uncommon at all for people to starve to death. I remember reading through the the Old Testament and all the feasts that God has, has commanded His people to have. There's like seven of them, I think. And I thought, man, that's a lot of feasting. But when you consider that that was the only time they ever got to eat like that, Amen. every time else it was, it was hand to mouth. It was, what, what are we going to have? We don't know. There, but there were certain times when they, brought, they got to eat until they were actually full. Amen. I don't know what it's, not, what it's like to not eat till I'm full. In fact, that's how you're supposed to eat, right? Till you get, Amen. did I miss something? Clean your plate, right? Amen. Amen. They, they didn't have that experience. That's why they weren't overweight, I guess. <laughs> I shouldn't joke about that because they, they, were, they were dying from hunger. And Jesus lived during a time when the Roman government was an oppressive regime. And all of the food production, all of the economy, all of that was done for the most part to support and prop up the government. Amen. Amen. Jesus himself had nothing. These were difficult times. He was a poor man. We know this from his own words. He said, the foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Difficult times. When he was on the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes while he hung there to die. He didn't even take his clothes with him. He left here with nothing. No physical possessions. And yet this is the same guy who said, consider the lilies and the birds. They don't worry about these things, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. God takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you? A scarcity mentality keeps you from joy in giving and in serving God. The idea of scarcity was introduced in the garden, like I said, when, when Satan tempted Eve. It is wicked. In fact, Satan, he's called the God of this world in the Scripture. He may as well be called the God of not enough. Because that's what he offers you is not enough. You don't have enough. If you do this, maybe you'll have enough. But I tell you now, church, every time you follow what Satan tries to offer you, that's what you'll always end up with is not enough. 
Everything you pursue outside of Christ will ultimately end up as not enough. Paul got it when he said everything is lost, everything is dung for the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. We have a scarcity mindset. And when we do, we cannot rejoice over the gifts we've been given because we've cast our cares upon tomorrow, which is what Jesus told us not to do. We're worried about food and drink and clothing. And Jesus said that life was more than those things. Scarcity, it places ourselves above others. It sets our, ourselves up as our own gods because who do we trust to make our provision? Ourselves. Because of this, we will justify our own selfish behavior. Just look at Cain when he killed Abel in Genesis chapter 4. It was the idea of scarcity that drove that act. God's blessing is not enough. Abraham lying in Genesis chapter 12. The idea of scarcity, God's promise is not enough. The idea of scarcity, the wicked idea of scarcity, causes us to raise certain objections to Christ's clear command for generosity. Remember in Luke where he said, give to everyone who comes to you begging. And Paul's clear instructions for us to give to the church and to give to, to missions. There are people that will ask us for help. We've all been here. And we'll draw a conclusion that they're just trying to take advantage of my generosity. So in order to protect what I have, because... I don't trust that the Lord will provide, ultimately, because I'm afraid that if I give it, I won't have it when I need it, then I refuse to give it. It's a scarcity mindset. Did they take advantage of Christ's generosity? <laughs> Didn't He go to the cross and become a scourge for those who had no appreciation for, uh, absolutely no appreciation whatsoever for what He was doing? Didn't, didn't he die a horrible and painful death so that they too might have life? And not only that, but what did he say? Life more abundantly. Amen. Amen. Wasn't that his whole purpose was to show that there is no scarcity in God? There is no scarcity in God and there is only joy, serious joy in a generous and sacrificial life. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. Jesus' whole reason for coming was to be taken advantage of. <laughs> he became poor, who was rich. He became poor so that we might become rich. He came to put an end to the scarcity mindset, the lie that Satan tells us that there is not enough in God. Amen. He came to show us the most vivid way possible that there is abundance in the Lord, that He will always provide. Isn't it interesting that it wasn't the rich who flocked to Jesus? Isn't it interesting that it, it was the poor and the downtrodden who uh, who best displayed the kingdom of God to the others. And they did it in such miraculous ways, like the Macedonian Christians who displayed such great generosity. The scripture says, in a, in a time of, of real trial and extreme poverty, out of abundance of joy, they gave generously. 
They give their, their substance. When everyone else around them would look at them and say, how can they do that? They don't have anything, yet they give as if they have everything. That's the essence of 2 Corinthians 6 and 10 when Paul says, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. It may look to you like I've got nothing, but I have everything in Christ. There is an abundance here that you just don't see. And who really cares if they're taking advantage of you anyway? You possess everything. Doesn't God know that you have needs? Is He not able to supply? Won't He do it when you trust Him? And really, what's a dollar? What's five dollars? For some of us, a lot more. What's a hundred dollars? You can show, especially when you can show someone who they know that they're taking advantage of you. They know that they're trying to get something from you. And you can show them I'm giving it willingly. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what he did? As they mocked him on the cross and spat at him and say, what kind of savior are you? He said, Father God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm going to give it willingly. All the blood and all the water flowed so that they might have life. I give it willingly. You say, well, I I don't have a dollar Brother Jeff, then give what you do have. Share a conversation. Give your time. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you. See, a, a scarcity mindset comes up with objections and excuses not to give because there is never enough. Do you see the selfishness in it? There's never enough. That's what Satan tried to get us to think. That's what he did get us to think in the Garden of Eden. There's not enough. I'll tell you what, one thing I'm absolutely certain about is that when you stand before Jesus Christ on the day of judgment, he will not scold you ever for giving too much. Amen. He will not look at you and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to take away some of your eternal rewards. I'm going to have to withhold some of your eternal blessing because you gave that man some money in my name and all he was trying to do was scam you. You, you won't hear that on judgment day. In fact, what you will hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. So who cares if they're taking advantage of you? Who cares what their goal is? Our goal is to present Christ to the world. And how did he do that? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation because Christ himself was reconciling us to God. How did he reconcile us to God? through bearing our sins, through taking all of that judgment upon himself, through dying a painful death on the cross and raising again in new life. How do we emulate that? Without actually hanging on a cross ourselves. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. But without actually hanging on a cross ourselves, how do we emulate that? Dying to the needs of the flesh and the deeds of the flesh. And raising to new life in Christ through generosity and Christian love. You know, I hear another objection very common, and what's surprising that it comes from Christian circles, people who know just enough Bible to get them in trouble. I say, well, Brother Jeff, you know, the Bible teaches us that we're not supposed to, you know where I'm going, cast our pearls before swine. Matthew 7, 6, Jesus said, do not give the dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot. And turn to attack you. So Jesus said that. 
Don't cast your pearls before pigs. It amazes me how often Christians will use this passage as a means to justify their own selfishness and their own lack of faith in the provision of our Father. It has absolutely, this passage has absolutely zero, and Dad likes to say that's a, what is it? It's a, a, a circle with the rim knocked off. Zero to do with money. Look at what Jesus said. Don't give what is holy to the dogs. That's the context of the next statement. Don't cast your pearls before pigs. In fact, let's just, it was just a couple verses before. Back in chapter 6, verse 25, this, the, just a few verses. In the same sermon, Jesus says this. Let's, let's look at 6, 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, how they they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add an hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, here's a kicker. Don't be anxious saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Don't worry about that. The Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, what things? The things that you need will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Why are you borrowing trouble? That's what a scarcity mentality does for you. It borrows trouble. I won't have it if I give it. Does it sound like Jesus is presenting money and possessions as something that is holy? Does it sound like he's saying that this is something that we should be fixated on? What did he say about it? Don't worry about it. Cast it out of your mind. Don't think about it. Forget about it. Forget about it. Your Lord will take care of you. Doesn't he take care of the grass and the, and the birds? How in the world could Jesus be saying the exact opposite thing six sentences later then when he says, don't cast your pearls before swine? So in in one breath, you want to tell me that that he says you shouldn't be concerned about things like food and clothing and, and basic needs because God knows you need these things and he will supply these things. And then in the next breath, he's saying you better be specially careful about your money. Don't give it to the wrong person. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And that's what happens when people build entire doctrines on snippets and sound bites of Scripture. You have, to, you have to understand fully and consider fully the whole counsel of God. I've said it before. This is why on, on a personal level, they may be fine for you, but on a personal level, I don't read daily devotions. I don't rely on daily devotions for my, my Bible reading. Because they, they take a single scripture and, and give some commentary on it. And the commentary may be great, but I want to see the whole thing. I want to see it in its context. I want the whole picture. I don't feel like I get that from those little, you know, uh, my utmost for his highest and those, you know, daily Jesus devotions or whatever. Um, just because I, I just need to see the whole thing. 
I want the whole context. And I'll tell you, if you actually take the time and read the whole Bible or the whole book that you're reading, the whole chapter even, if you just read the whole chapter, you'd be amazed at the things that you will come across that will make you think, you know, I wasn't ever really taught it that way. That's not how I was taught that. And you know why? That's because whoever taught it to you didn't take the time to read it and study it for himself. You're just passing on the snippets and sound bites and the notions he has on a snippet of text. Context matters, church. Amen. Don't cast your pearls before swine. It has nothing to do with your money or your possessions or your food or your clothes. What it's about is being strategic with what is holy. The gospel, for example. You cannot go into a country like Iraq, just to give you an example, where the, it is utterly hostile towards the gospel and anyone that, that espouses Jesus Christ or even says the name Jesus Christ, you cannot go into that country and stand on the street corner and preach the gospel like you can do that here. If you do that, they will shoot you or worse. Amen. Amen. It's an environment that is completely hostile to the gospel. So you have to be strategic. You have to meet in secret like the early church did. You have to do what you can do to keep the gospel moving from house to house. That's not to say that when you get caught, when you get brought before Caesar and all of his, his uh, soldiers, and when you get accused that you, that you lie about it, no, you stand up for Jesus Christ in those points. How many martyrs have been caught and, and, and burned at the stake singing praises to God for the, just, just for the sheer joy of being able to be accused of being a Christian? But at the same time, they weren't, they weren't advertising it to the government. You know, they, they were meeting in secret. They were doing things strategically to get the gospel to as many people without the government intervention and prevention. And that's what he says, what, he's, what he means when he says you have to be careful throwing your pearls, what is holy, in front of swine. Because they will take that kingdom of God seed that you've given, they will trample on it and attack you. You've got to keep the gospel. That's what it's about. It's not about your money. And I'm not saying don't preach the gospel to those who don't want to hear it. I'm saying just we have to be strategic in our approach or we risk doing what Jesus commanded us not to do. And again, it has nothing to do with money or giving to someone that has a need. That objection, oh, that, that just bothers me when I hear that. <laughs> I, I mentioned Christian generosity in a... In a it was in a, another Christian meeting I was in with Christian leaders. And you'd be amazed at the objections I got to that. And this is one of the main ones. We're not supposed to give our pearls to swine. You don't, you don't understand the scripture. And it breaks my heart, not only for you, but for your church. Every objection to Christian generosity comes from a demonic seed of scarcity mentality a lie that he is told that says god is not enough god will not provide you can't trust what the lord says the truth is that god calls us to an extravagant generosity and the true serious joy that comes from giving that's the example that he lived that's why i chose the verse that i did in the beginning hebrews 12 2 looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him, Christ gave everything. He endured great suffering. Why? For joy. Amen. 
This is the abundant life that he spoke about, life that is so full of abundance that, that none of that, no persecution, no, no poverty, no nothing can, can, can destroy that joy. None of it matters. Paul got it right when he said it's all, it's all loss for Christ. Jesus, he had a promise from the Father and he knew what his promises were. God promised him a throne and a kingdom, an eternal crown, the promise of an eternal and bountiful inheritance in the saints. And he, he lived in that promise and he moved in that promise. He trusted God in his abundant provision. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, Consider the lilies and the birds. God knows that you have needed these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and he will provide all of this. So what, what, why does he liken the kingdom of God? What does that even look like? Just look at the language that he uses in Luke chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 18. He says, he, uh, what is the kingdom of God like? Jesus is asking the question so that he can answer it. He says, and what shall I compare it? Verse 19, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew up and became a tree, and the birds made nests in its branches. The kingdom of heaven like a mustard seed. Then he says in verse 20, what shall I compare the kingdom of heaven? It's like a, a leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Do you see the imagery there? Something as small as a mustard seed. Something as insignificant as a little leaven in all of that flour, and yet it's more than enough. An abundant supply. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? Anybody remember that story? What did he start with? Five loaves and two fishes. The complete and total possession of one young man there. Amen. That's all he had. So the disciples didn't even get the abundance of God. They're looking at it thinking, Lord, how are we going to do this? How can we feed all these people with, with this little five? This is not enough. The young boy is saying, that's all I've got. And the disciples are saying, it's not enough. Amen. Jesus did not approach the world through a, a scarcity mentality. He didn't fall into the sin of thinking God was not enough or that God was not able or willing to keep his promises. Jesus had great joy in giving. He gave of himself consistently and completely. He had a mindset of abundance, church. Amen. He trusted that God is enough. Amen. If I'm hungry, God's enough. That's why we're called to fasting. Amen. Do you know that? To prove to you that God is enough. If I'm feeling alone, God is enough. If I'm sick, God is enough. And when you know that Jesus is enough, when you know that you have enough, it is so much easier to give, isn't it? Jesus said it is way more blessed. I added way. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And having gone from being a kid who receives all the time to being a parent who gives, I can tell you it's way more blessed to give than it is to receive. I've had so much more joy at Christmas time as an adult than I ever had as a child. Amen. It is so, and you all know this, you all have kids, you know this. You think he, he knew what he was talking about when he said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive? I want to leave you with this. Shifting our mindset from one of scarcity to where we're concerned about what we don't have to a mindset of abundance, it frees us from worry. It frees us from worry. It allows us to trust. 
To not, it allows us to have that peace that passes understanding. When you trust that the Lord will provide for your needs, you, you can live like Jesus said to live. Not casting your cares upon tomorrow. Not worrying about what you're going to eat or drink because you know that there is always enough in God. The abundance mindset doesn't always make sense in the natural though. I just want to give you a clear warning about that. You, you may look at it and think that isn't, I don't know how that's going to add up. I mean, take the five loaves and two fishes to feed thousands of people and then to have more than left over than what you started with. Sometimes it requires you to follow the proverb to trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. Even though sometimes it doesn't necessarily make sense. Amen. And if you doubt me in that, ask any Christian believer who's ever practiced Christian generosity or sacrificial giving. I promise you they will have a testimony of how God just miraculously made ends meet. I didn't know how it was going to work, but he told me to do it, and I did it, and bless God, he made it work. Amen. Amen. The abundance mindset tells us to cast our cares upon Christ, knowing that he cares for us. It frees us from being choked by the cares of this world. Remember the parable of the sower we talked about a couple weeks ago? What happened? That seed fell on the ground and it took root, but the cares of this world choked it out. And the deceitfulness of riches choked it out. When we have a mindset of abundance, we're not, we're not worried about is there going to be enough because we know that God is enough and God has provided enough. He promised to take care of me. It frees me up from being choked by the cares of this world. There is so much joy in giving, church. And the problem is so many of us are so bound by the scarcity mentality that we can't even see it. It makes no sense to us. We look at what we have and, and we're crushed under the weight of that scarcity, of, of, under the weight of this is not enough. And let, let me tell you that, that all throughout the scriptures we are taught the principle. It doesn't actually say it in the Bible, but it's a very clear principle that little is much with the Lord. Look at the widow's might. Do you remember? The, she gave two, two pennies. And everybody else has given all the stuff that they had and all these great offerings, and she gave two pennies. And the Lord said she has given more than everybody because she gave out of her lack. Amen. And in doing so, she had to trust. How much more was that? The mustard seed kind of faith, little is much. Five loaves and two fishes, little is much. When you're going to, when, when, do we, when do we take our mentality out of a scarcity mentality and put it into an abundance mentality and trust the Lord for abundance in our lives? I, I told you at the very beginning of this series, way back eight weeks or so ago, that how you handle your money and your possessions, especially as it relates to giving, it will give us everything that we need to know about the state of your soul. Amen. Amen. And some of you are bound by this. You're bound by scarcity. And that only comes from a lack of trust in God. It's not always a question of whether or not you love the Lord. Did you know that you can love someone and not trust them? Amen. So, I don't know that anyone would ever... I'm not saying that, I'm not questioning whether or not you genuinely love God, any of you. But you need to ask yourself, do I trust him? Trust completes love. 
It makes it whole. It makes it strong and solid. Do you trust him? So we, we don't trust him, so we, we develop excuses for our lack of generosity, excuses to why we don't give to the church, why we don't give to others. And when, it, when those excuses are fueled by a scarcity mentality and they're supported by a lack of trust in God, they all make sense. They make sense. Amen. We treat giving, especially giving to the church, like it we're paying for services rendered. I'm here this week, so I better give something. Or I'm not here this week, so I don't owe them anything. You know what? That's all born out of a scarcity mentality, not out of the abundant life that Christ called us to, that Christ died for us to have. Christ came so that we might live abundantly. That doesn't mean wealthy. It doesn't mean with lots of money, but with abundance. Our needs are met, and your joy is full. That cannot happen if you're always thinking there isn't enough. Life abundant, the kind of, that kind of indestructible joy comes only from trusting in the God who is enough. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for our time together this morning. Um, as we wrap this series up on giving and, and possessions, Lord, I pray that, that you will just rest in our hearts and, and quicken us to a life of sacrificial generosity, Lord to be put on display what you have done for us in your son, Jesus Christ, that the world may see that there is ample supply in you. Father, we love you. We trust you. Help us to lean on you and not on our own understanding as we go our separate ways. Bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.